Have you ever just wanted someone to walk alongside you as you do the thing? The thing that makes your heart come alive and leaves our world just a little bit more like Jesus than we found it. I'm a girl wildly passionate about cheering on my friends in the pursuit of making God known through their unique calling. So buckle up because I'll gather up my favorite seasoned and rising leaders in their fields to share inspirational stories, strategic advice, and hard-won wisdom. I'm your host, Rebecca Dotson-George, and welcome to the Do The Thing Movement Podcast. You're listening to another episode of the Do The Thing Movement Podcast. The music in the background is the song Yours by Katie Hurst. So if you've not checked out her music yet, please definitely go give it a listen. And today is so much fun. I have author Megan Fate Marshman on the show to talk about her new book, Meant for Good. You are going to love this conversation and leave so encouraged, just like I did. So let me introduce you to my new friend, Megan. Okay, Megan, I am so excited to have you on the show today to talk about your heart behind your new book, Meant for Good, The Adventure of Trusting God and His Plans for You. The book is going to be out into the world by the time the world hears this conversation, which is so exciting. I'm so thrilled for you. So I'd love for you to start by just unpacking your heart for this with listeners. Yeah, man, it's so good to be on here with you, Rebecca. So fun. You are living the dream that you're telling others to do. So good job modeling that by example. By doing this podcast, how cool is that? I'll tell you, this book journey really has begun by taking very famous passages and knowing you're not supposed to pull them out of context, but watching the world do it anyways, and then discovering on the journey what happens when you understand those famous passages, how much richer they become, how much more, uh, how deeper it can go into your soul and how much more secure you can walk into the world as a result. So the two main passages, man, we get to tackle, dive deep on is the Jeremiah 29, 11, God knows the plans. And then Romans 8, 28, all those plans are meant for good and how that can collide with a, person's life that maybe doesn't feel good at the time. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. So I actually had that as a question was just to talk, talk about and unpack Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. And just, you can dig into Romans eight as well if you want to, but how God put, you know, these two specific passages on your heart. I think there's a lot we take a lot of scripture out of context, but these mm-hmm. are two biggies that we see on t-shirts, bookmarks, all the things, all the time. And um, one thing that my husband, he's a lead pastor, one thing he'll often say as he really digs into scripture or encourages people in their you know, walk in scripture is he'll say, you know, the first three rules of reading the Bible are context, 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 right? <laughs> and so it's so important. So I'd love for you to unpack for people kind of mm-hmm. how God put these two on your heart. Yeah. The the beginning, this is kind of fun. So the beginning of it was I discovered a promise in scripture because I, I, it was that one song that came out, the one that's like, all your promises are yeah. yes in it. Have you heard that song? Yeah. Yes, if you haven't, it's so welcome. good. There it is. Okay. So I love that song, but then I kept thinking, what are his promises? Like, what are yeah. the ones that I can actually take hold of? So I started just doing some research to find like, what is a promise 
that I can take hold of and walk confidently in. And I landed on Jeremiah 29, 13. But the reason it really made me laugh was I went out that was in front of an audience and I was talking about God's promises. And then I said, you know, like the famous one in Jeremiah 29 and the whole audience shouts back 11, yeah, like 600 voices in unison said, 11. And I was like, oh no, I was no 13. And and then everyone (laughs) busts into laughter. And there was a moment of, oh yeah, we don't know the promise in 13 because we're hanging out in 11 thinking those words are written to us. Yeah. The the plans to give you a hope and a future and the one that he describes in detail in verse 14. Oh, that portion wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And understanding the difference of those two phrases. Bible being written, not to us, but for us. Mm, yeah. That distinction changes how we read the Bible. And I found that so many people read the Bible and they find themselves in their quiet times disappointed or not knowing really how to engage in it yeah. or holding on to things that we think are promises when they're more like principles and then going, okay, so I'm just, I've seen too, far too many people give up on quiet time and I want to revive the quiet time yeah. world but I think it needs some equipping in order for people to feel confident going into quiet time. And I think the world and our world's culture has seeped in thinking every message, every verse, every quote is about us. And if that's the case, then we'll read the Bible as such, put ourselves as the main character and then walk out disappointed because God isn't writing these words down for us just to feel warm and fuzzy or feel inspired. It's so that we can know God. Mm. So you take a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11, and if that verse is about us, then of course we'll look for where the prosperous future is. And then when suddenly cancer comes into the story, you wonder, where is God in all of this? And then you read Romans 8, 28, and you go, how could that be meant for good? How could the coronavirus be meant for good? And so the beauty of these passages is it's teaching you how to read the Bible differently. So Jeremiah 29, 11, if it's not about us and it's actually about God, then you can know this. And listener, wherever you're listening from, hear these words. God really knows the plans. Mm. He really knows where it's going. And then you can read the three verses that follow, which are God's invitation to say, hey, here's what it looks like practically to trust me. Not to just say, I trust in the Lord, but do you want to know what that practically looks like? Good. Verses 12, 13, and 14, he outlines. And that really became the framework for this book is saying, I don't want people just to say, I trust God. I want them to know and have confidence that they are actively trusting God. Yeah. Wow. This is so good. And there's so many things that were flooding my mind as you were talking. One is just how, and I've had this conversation several times lately of how indoctrinated we've become in our culture and our Christian bubble culture of, you know, I really want like the three points in an application for my life right now today. And we've found ourselves, I think in a time where we're, we're not so much engaging with scripture. We're doing, you know, fill in the blank Bible studies, which are awesome. And I'm such an advocate for they're great, but we've lost the art of just learning about God's greater story and all of scripture. And what then, you know, sure it was written to a certain people, but it's like you said, it's, it's to a certain people then when it was written, but it's for us now. And it's just cool to think, um, I just love how God, you know, used that in, in your life and, you know, specifically with these verses, just to kind of bring out this message. Another thing that you address in the book that I know so many in our community struggle with is feeling not enough. 
quote, not enough. Right. Mm. So we know those struggles are not from God. They're from the enemy. Right. And in fact, we're exactly enough to be used by God. We're more than enough to be used by God. And so why do you think this struggle is so prevalent? And then walk us through kind of how you address that in the book. Yeah. Okay. This might be news because it was to me as I went on this journey, I always thought that the thing I needed to combat those feelings, which by the way, if you're feeling not enough in a category of your life, I'm not enough to be loved. I mean, there, it gets that deep or it's just, I'm not enough to provide for everyone around me that has all these expectations. And I, I'm not even enough for myself. I feel like I can't do everything for everyone all of the time. And I think I, I hear this so often, but here's the aha moment for me in studying scripture. And I can go into more of the scripture that actually brought this out, but here was the big learning. We hear a lot of lies, right? You hear a lot of lies in our brain. The, the visual I have is like a tape recorder. And for those listening in their 20s, it's similar to a CD. Wait, you don't know what that is either, but okay, so <laughs> like a tape recorder in your brain, constantly like reminding you either of failures or of phrases that can be lies. It's similar to what the enemy, he just does this, right? But here's the aha moment for me. The phrase not enough is not one of the lies. The lie is that we think we have to be enough to our own standard, the world standard to be used by God. That blew my mind. And you read about it all the time. You've heard maybe like a Dallas Willard who says, you know, God's address is at the end of your rope. It's not when you're self-sufficient that God's using you because you're self-sufficient. If you don't need God, why would he show up in those different yeah. ways? So getting to a place of saying, I'm not enough to transform my four and a half year old to love Jesus. When you get there, then you might actually pray. I fear the reason we don't pray is because we don't feel like we need to, yet we wrestle with these not enoughs. And then we bring that not enough and we want God to convince us that we are. And the truth is we are in him, but yeah. we're not by ourselves. And that distinction mm -hmm. is really freeing. It's really freeing for you to come to a moment and going, I am not enough to do everything for everyone, but thank God, he doesn't leave me in that place. He wants to partner with me. But if I don't acknowledge that I can't be everything to anyone, then I'll just keep trying to do this life on my own. I'll pray every once in a while, I'll spend time with God every once in a while when it's convenient. God won't really be the priority. Yeah. And then when I do have that time, I'll come with these unhealthy expectations that God will make me feel better about myself. While the truth is what we need to is not focus as much on self. And when we are free from that and going, you know what, I'm not enough. And you can shout it to yourself in the mirror going, and that's okay, because that's right where God begins. I mean, look at the guys that he chose. Yeah. I wonder for you even, Rebecca, as someone that people are listening to because they see so much good things that you're doing and they, they see this passion and even success of launching a podcast into this world. What have you, I have to just ask because yeah. it's so interesting. What have you been either told or realized about that phrase that's transformed you into freedom of living? Yeah, so... Wow. That's a great question. And as you were talking, one thing that came to mind that somebody encouraged me with a couple of years ago was they said, I don't even remember what it was, if it was like a speaking engagement or something, but they, they were encouraging me beforehand. And they said, you know, I'm not going to say that I believe in you. I believe in God in you. Like, I don't mm -hmm. believe in, in 
in you apart from God, right? Because it's the Holy Spirit working through us. And I loved that phrase. I thought it was so good. And I think where God's really transformed me, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. A little. A little. Okay. So I only say that just for context of my personality. So I'm a three. And if you know what a three means, it's an achiever. And so I'm hardwired with this bent towards doing all the things, right? Which is, is funny because my podcast is named Do The Thing Movement. But all of my kind of childhood life experience in the church was very much, I check a, a set of boxes, you know, I have this list of things that, that I do and practice, and that's kind of my relationship with God. Um, I was saved and came to Christ at a very young age. However, what that practically lived out in my life looked like for much of kind of my teenage years was, you know, in youth group, you check in each week and did you read your Bible all seven days? Okay, great. Did you do X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Okay, great. Okay. And then all those things earn points that lead towards a mission trip at the end of the year. And if you get enough points, you get to go on the mission trip. <laughs> and so, so now it's part of my testimony of how God's really redeemed me from a lot of, a lot of box checking to really free me into realizing, you know, I don't, one, I don't earn grace. I don't earn my relationship with God, but then also, you know, there's the part of the, the like man's approval piece of that, that I think I really battled when I was younger and, and I still have my moments where, um, you know, I'm choosing man's approval over God's. Um, that's another piece of, of all this, this whole conversation that I think that God's really revealed to me over the last several years, especially in marriage, nothing will show you your sin and just where you struggle the most in some of these conversations than, than marriage. So over the last year, God's really uh, used my husband to help transform that in me. But that's, those are some of the things I think I would say. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool conversation to talk through, especially when, again, you can talk through it with the picture of, wait, maybe the goal is not in me achieving or doing quote all the things happening right doing all that in order to earn the approval or the filling of people's opinions isn't it exhausting good gosh but I hope you did get to go on those missions trips you know I did they were great they were great and that is not I I love and adore the church and I'm so thankful for my heritage and I always say that before I tell that part of my testimony because you know it just it probably didn't affect everybody in our youth group the same way it affected me just out of my sin nature and bent towards checking boxes. Right. So that's, yeah. that's kind of where God used that in my life. I'll, but, add, um, I'll add to this conversation that I worked for curriculum for a few years for the church, specifically elementary school through middle school curriculum. Yeah. And it was so fun kind of taking all those wonderful things like, is it good to bring a Bible to church? Yes. Is it good to bring a friend? Yes. And say, how do we change it? How do we make it less about the person? Because when you do those things, it builds up the church. When you remember to invite your friend, I want them to do that as adults. And so it was fun because we reframed everything, but we didn't want to lose why it was created in the first place. So one thing we did is instead of it being personal, we did, um, we put these like little Ebenezer's, but they were little rock containers. And then they had a clear front. And then when you brought the Bible, brought the friend, memorized the scripture, did all the things, you got to drop a rock, but it was the whole churches mm. together. So by the end, it's, uh, we are stronger when I, 
do or check a box or do these things. It's because it's not about me becoming just closer to God. It's about us saying yes to what God's called us to. And it was so fun because then, then when suddenly someone drops one in the rock, everyone's celebrating, not the person, but the church growing as a result. Mm. So now think about us as adults. I'm stronger when I'm in community with people who of course read God's word because our conversations on Sunday mornings are richer. So yes, what I do does, but suddenly we make it about, well, that person's more spiritual. And then the comparison game, and then you get Teddy Roosevelt's quote, comparison is the thief of all joy. And we're not living as God intended. Yeah. So good. Yes. And amen. Back to your favorite song. Mm, Um, So to get really kind of practical here, we've dug into this a little bit. Why do we count ourselves out? And how do we trust that God is up to something really good and accept his invitation to join? Yes. I'm just going to use scripture on this one. So Romans 8, 28, you've probably heard it. If you haven't, you're welcome because I'd rather you hear God's words, God's voice more than mine. But here it is. Here's why I can be confident in that. And we know, I even love that it starts like that. Here's what Mm. you can know. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So here's the the surprise for me. So God works for the good. Some people go, yeah, I can find the silver lining in anything. And we could even tell us, we could even say, well, that person just thinks so positively and optimistically that is that person. And some of you are going, wait, I do not know how God could use my friend's betrayal for good. Mm. Help me with that. So consider your life and consider this verse. Don't just say, "Mm, good verse. I want you to consider your life. Could God use and, and try, think of the worst thing. Think about the worst thing. Could God use that for the good? And as you're thinking about it, if it feels hard to really imagine that he could use that for good, then what I would challenge you with is to think through your definition of good because your definition of good likely is my definition of good and the world's definition of good, which is this comfortable, successful, easy, maybe rich, maybe. I mean, it depends on the category of your circumstance, but how are you defining good? Now, the good news of context is Paul doesn't stop at verse 28. He mm. writes verse 29, which defines the good. Here it is. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Don't get tripped up on that word. It just means predestined. Okay. <clears throat> to be, here it is. Here's his definition of good. To be conformed to the image of his son. Mm. All right. So now let's take the case of a betrayal. How in the world could that be used for good? Well, if good is to make you more like Jesus, Jesus is forgiving. So he could even use betrayal to make you more like Jesus. Are you, do you feel like you're drowning? How could he use a circumstance that makes you feel helpless for good? And then I go to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, yet not what I will, but what you will be done, even if it's the worst path. I mean, now let me tell you Jesus's characteristics. Jesus is calm. Uh, Dallas Willard, who studied the life of Jesus man so effectively was asked to put Jesus. They said, describe Jesus in one word. And he sat back and thought about it. And he said, "Mm, relaxed. Mm -hmm. And I went, Whoa, do you think God might be wanting to use the very thing you're going through to make you more like Jesus? Maybe by exposing how not relaxed you've been, how fearful, how anxious, how overwhelmed your life has been. Take this podcast as a banner communicating to you that God will use everything if you'll let him. He doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste pain. We know that because he went through pain. And if he understands what pain feels like, trust us, trust him. He wouldn't waste it. So let me ask this question. 
how might God be using the very thing you are going through to form you more into the likeness of Jesus? Mm. Jesus is forgiving. Jesus is dependent upon the words of his father. When you start to do it that way, and then you read God's word to understand the character attributes of God himself, then you might have a picture and you might have hope because the goal would be that God would be forming you through everything into the likeness of Jesus. And the good news is the world needs Jesus not to be impressed with you. But the way that God happens to want to reach the world is through you. So it matters for you not to count yourself out, but rather to have a different definition of what good is. Yeah. Wow. That's it. That's it. I can think back to, so a few years ago, my mom went through breast cancer. She's a survivor now, all glory to God. And we're, we're so thankful, but the verse God really gave her, it's actually also in Romans eight. So it's verse 18. Um, it was the verse he gave her kind of for her journey. And it says, for I consider that the present sufferings of this life aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And it's so cool to think how, you know, yeah, God's definition of good is is so different than ours. And, and that good really is him receiving glory and us becoming more like him, you know, and it's just cool to see how he uses even really hard things um, to reveal that in us. Another thing that I love that you talk about in the book is encouraging people to hear and respond to God's voice. I think that's something that a lot of people get maybe kind of tripped up about. So how would you encourage listeners to hear and respond to God's voice? Mm. Oh, I'll tell a story that we, in that curriculum company that I worked for, this was one of our primary objectives was to answer the question that we were asked a lot. I was asked a lot by students. So I used to run a summer camp also with thousands of students coming through. And one of the top, I would say three questions I was asked is, how do you hear from God? How do you hear from God? How do you hear from God? And we noticed such a through line that we thought, man, if we could tackle that one earlier on, Mm. That would be good. So we started doing, and I'll just get practical with what we did. So we would say, every time we opened up the Bible to read, we'd say, it's time to hear from God. Because Mm. I think we really need to know the power of these words in front of us, that it's not just a book written. It is God's words. We are so intentional with that. We would do things like create space, even for little elementary school nuggets, just the littlest of ones. We'd create space because we believe there's no junior Holy Spirit that God really could speak and use and highlight whatever they heard in the message. So what we did is at the end of a message, what we would do is create space and ask a question like this. How do you think the Holy Spirit is leading you to respond? Now we're going to listen. He may highlight something you just heard in the message. Look down at your Bible because he may be highlighting something we read or a question that you have. He may be wanting to use the questions you have. And so again, we were so intentional. Now here's where it got fun is after five years of testing this curriculum in multiple churches around the U.S., we interviewed some of the kids five years later. With this type of intentionality, we said, all right, can they answer the question that we cared about? Can they? And their answers blew our minds. So take it from these mini theologians. Do you want to know how to hear from God? Good. Here's three of my favorites. We we sat them down and said, how do you hear from God? First little girl goes. At this time, she's like, gosh, maybe 10. Mm. Oh, it's easy. And all of us were thinking, what? Tell us. Like, if it's so easy. And she says, it's so easy. All I do is I go in my room, close my eyes, and I really have to focus. And then I just listen. 
she goes, you know what I usually hear? I usually hear really encouraging things like, I love you. Oh. I believe it. And so, I mean, us sitting behind the camera are taking notes and we're like, oh, so, okay. So listening. And this isn't new for any listener right now. You've known this. You need to listen. But let me ask, when's the last time you gave him five minutes? And just for the sake of saying, God, I'm listening. In fact, can I tell you practically over the past month, I've turned off Netflix at night for the sake of silence and solitude. Silence being just creating space, emptying the sounds because nighttime is really easy to do that. Yeah. And then solitude, inviting Jesus into those thoughts. Oh man, take the words from the 10 year old. You just got to sit there and listen. You got to, you got to do it. So if you haven't heard from him in a while, take her advice. Or how about kid number two who says, so I start, you know, when I go to read my Bible, because that's how I hear from him the best. He goes, I don't just read it once. Cause for some reason, the first time I'm not really paying attention and he's, <laughs> he's saying the thing that all of us do, we just don't acknowledge it. And he yeah. goes by the second, even the third time, usually I'll just kind of like highlight something in the Bible text. And then I'll trust that's what he has for me. And I'll think about it the rest of the day. And all of us are thinking, that is brilliant. So what you're saying, young man, is you don't read the Bible or your quiet time to get through it. That's different, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then uh, kid number three was so funny. They go, it was a little boy. He's like, you know, you know how you can just kind of tell people that really know God? And I'm thinking, so judgmental, but continue. And he goes on to say, you can just tell. And the truth is, listener to this podcast man, if you spend time with them, people would be able to tell. Yeah. Don't just think of it as a chore. Don't think of it as a to-do list. The world needs people who are hanging out with Jesus and finding their hope in Jesus because they look different. Yeah. They even look different than that Christian that walks into church every Sunday and are untransformed. They're not transformed every week. People can tell. And so let me say that to give you hope. Spend time with them. People will be able to tell why, because you might look a little more relaxed. Yeah. and hopeful and confident in the things that people need to be hopeful and confident in. Mm, yeah, it's so true. I've had so many conversations lately during this season, even where people have said in the question that I ask about the best piece of advice that you've ever been given, multiple people have said, you know, what God's really brought out, even especially in this season is I have got to stay rooted in God's word. And I, I, I could not give you a better piece of advice than that. And it's been really cool just to see how many times I've been reminded of that. And our guests have been reminded and our listeners have been reminded just how important it is to spend time in his words, spend time with him just for the sake of knowing him better. Right. Yeah. And, um, and listener to this moment, I know you know that, but can I just encourage you? When will you do it today? Yeah. Put it in your calendar. You don't miss meetings. Yeah. These times, put it in there today. Get away with them. Yeah. Do it. Okay, back to you. Ah, I love it. I love it. Okay. So back to my favorite question. Um, we end every episode with this question and that is, what do you think is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Yep. It was right before I had my first child, a pastor named Sam Lewis. I was speaking at a conference and he walks up to me and he goes, you're pregnant. Yay. And I'm like, yeah, I am. And <laughs> thankfully, because otherwise this would be weird. Um, but he said, hey, I only have one thing to say. Every yes is a no and every no is a yes. You're mm -hmm. welcome. And walked away and I've thought about it in every capacity. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no 
And a lot of people are waiting for open doors and you're going, well, just, I just have to say yes, because that's the thing. No. And if this is on calendar things, but this is also on rhythms, you can say no to Netflix in order to say yes to time spent with the Lord. Another one, I wanted to be a big reader and I just, I felt like I didn't have enough time. Anyone else just be like, I want to read all the books. I have this long, here's what I did. I now attach a book to my phone. So as I carry it, I quite literally, instead of jumping onto my phone, I jump into the book and I'm reading books again. So every no is a yes and every yes is a no. Every time you say yes to something. And if you're someone that has kids like me, every yes to a social event without them is a no to your family. And while it's not bad, of course we need friendships. We need to recognize what our best yeses are. In fact, there's a book title. I think it's is it Lee Turkers? I'm not yep. sure. The one that's the best, yes. the best yes. I didn't read the book. I actually didn't read the book. I read the book title, but I knew it. That was enough. There's many. Yeah. And then the other big thing is when you do say no to something and you're so proud of it, <laughs> I did it. Make sure you realize what you can actively say yes to in saying no to that thing. And so look at, if you're married, look at your spouse in the eyes turn off your phone or put it upstairs or in another room or wherever, or whatever, in order to say yes with your attention and your focus. Yeah. I think again, those yeses and no's, it's such a, we have so many decisions throughout our day that just remember this phrase, every no is a yes and every yes is a no. Each time you say yes, just remember the cost of what you have to say no to in order for that yes to be, to be realized. And then secondly, when you do say no, smile and then actively choose your yeses in response. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the piece that we miss so often. I love that. That's so good. So Megan, tell listeners where they can get in touch with you, where they can get the book and connect with you, all the things. Oh man, it's fun. This, uh, there's pros and cons to social media. We can call it the enemy or what we could do is utilize it for good. And so social media is man one. I love to connect with people. Megan fate is my handle on all the, all the things. So you can always find me there. That's my maiden name, fate, F-A-T-E. It's the hangout there. Got a website, meganfate.com. These are all the places you can go to find anything more. But again, my hope in all of these different spaces is to use them for good to create environments or to create conversations so that people can be formed more into the likeness of Jesus because our world needs Jesus. So that's where you yes, can find me. They do. Oh, Megan, this has been such an encouragement. I am so excited for listeners to hear this conversation and for them to check out the book. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, I'm honored. And listener, don't forget, get away with them. Schedule time. There's nothing better you can do with it. Yes. <laughs> 